Hey, have you heard about our all-new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com. Hello and welcome to Restoring the Soul, a podcast dedicated to helping you close the gap from what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty, sitting alongside my hero, Michael John Cusick, (laughs) your host. Hey, it is great to be with you live, uh, face-to-face in Colorado. We're making history uh, today. This is the first time in how many years have we known each other? Uh, five. Five years. First time that we're getting a chance to uh, kick off season number eight. Uh, I'm visiting uh, Michael here in uh, Denver. We're uh, high atop Eeny Meeny Sushi. I've been, you know, I can't wait. I hope you're going to take me there today. Well, we're looking at Eeny Meeny Sushi. We're not high atop it. It's only two floors, and uh, the health department and the local construction unions would probably not let us be on top of the building. So, <laughs> uh, But we're looking at it from the fourth floor of the West Jefferson Building. It's a beautiful day here in Colorado, and uh, we've got a lot uh, on tap. Um, so we've we've had the podcast now for four years, and Michael, you've never had an opportunity to really unpack your book, Surfing for God. And it's not a book on surfing. I don't know that you necessarily get to practice out here, you know, with the oceanfront property that you have here in Denver. But tell me about the title and what we hope to unpack with this uh, podcast over the next couple weeks. It is strange. The book came out in 2012, and someone said to me once, why have you never had an episode or more on your book, Surfing for God? And the book title is um, a good setup for the content of the book. Uh, most people who are listening to this know that I was a sex addict, and in 1994, I blew up my life and my marriage, and that about five years after that, uh, with a with a really incredible journey of freedom and sobriety, I was a professor uh, for five years full-time, and then ever since the early 2000s as an adjunct. And so I started to say, what is it in my story that helped? And what is it that I've been teaching? And what is it that I do with people when I sit down? So that kind of three-part aspect of restoration, how does that happen? And one day I was listening to uh, Philip Yancey, and he quoted G.K. Chesterton, who is attributed with saying, The man who's knocking on the brothel door is knocking for God. 
and that quote just captivated me because it spoke to the fact that the sex addict, the man going to a prostitute, he's he's searching for, he's looking for something bigger than sex. He's looking for transcendence. He's looking for all of the good gifts that God gave him. And so I thought if the man knocking on the brothel door is knocking for God, then maybe the person surfing the internet for porn is surfing for God. And hmm. so the subtitle is Discovering the Divine Desire Beneath Sexual Struggle. And that came out of, uh, in the message in 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul talks about don't join yourself with a prostitute, and he's teaching about sexual immorality. Eugene Peterson translated that in the message. He said, sex is more than mere skin on skin. It's as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. And so the book is a combination of my story and uh, there's a kind of memoir aspect to it, along with a healing path of how men can be restored. Now, let me say at the outset, the book was written for men, but I have gotten dozens of emails from women who have said, A, this book has helped me understand my husband, my partner, my boyfriend, my fiance. B, this book has helped me with my own sexual compulsions. And then C, uh, this book helped me with my eating disorder, or this helped me with my codependency. And so if you're thinking, eh, this is something to tune out about because I don't have an issue with porn or sex addiction, I would say that, first of all, sexual struggles are kind of like secondhand smoke, that they're there in our world. And you can die from secondhand smoke, even if you're not a smoker. So the book can be really helpful for us to understand our own soul. So thank you for uh, setting up how this has not only impacted men, women as well. What was the journey like for you to write this cathartic, almost autobiographical, then that a part of your journey and the therapy uh, and healing aspect of you putting pen to paper and providing this, how has it has it impacted you uh, personally over the years? Well, writing the book changed my life because my story became very public. I had shared it at conferences and testimonies, and Julianne and I have spoken together at conferences, and she talked to wives who have experienced betrayal. But um, if I'd just written a book about addiction or even sex addiction and not made it personal, I think that would have been easier. I'm not a writer. I'm more of a verbal communicator. And so I had to do a lot of translation from speaking into writing. But the fact that it was my story, it was brutal. And there were times when I was telling God, I don't want to do this. I wish I hadn't started this. I wish I hadn't signed the contract. And so there was a, a real cost to writing this and to put my story out there um, in such a, a vulnerable way. And yet, one of the things I'm told again and again is the hope that's given as I share my own story. And, you know, I don't just say I was a sex addict or I struggled with lust, but I, I go into a lot of really specific elements that again and again, men come and say, oh my gosh, that's my story. And so I believe that it was worth the cost and I would do it all over again um, just to be able to offer the hope from the depths of darkness that I was in. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to unpack uh, the book chapter by chapter, and you're going to hear it in first person 
from Michael. And it's a treat for me to be able to sit here across from you and to learn from you and to take part in this. But just encourage you, those that are listening uh, today or whenever you hear this podcast, to make sure that you stay connected over the next couple weeks as each chapter is unpacked. So so let's dive in, and uh, you've got some great stuff for us today. Yeah, I want to uh, indulge the audience by reading part of the introduction. Um, I rewrote a parable back in the 1920s. There was a pastor who uh, created uh, an illustration that maybe some of you have heard called the, the, the Feathers or the Story of the Skylark and the Devil. Uh, Jeffrey Satin over a psychiatrist uh, wrote a book called Feathers of the Skylark about 25 years ago, small little book. And so I took that story and rewrote it for the purpose of this book. And so this is the story of the feathers of the Skylark to set up this conversation and all of our subsequent episodes on Surfing for God. A rabbi and his young disciple sat side by side under the shade of a large oak tree. Help me, rabbi, said the disciple. I'm a double-minded man. The law of the Lord tells me the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be in want. But, oh, how I want! The rabbi's face revealed a trace of a smile, but he remained silent. And, Rabbi, said the younger man, the law of the Lord tells me that my soul finds rest in God alone. But, oh, how my soul finds rest in everything else! The rabbi's face revealed the same trace of a smile, but still he remained silent. And, Rabbi, said the student, The man after God's own heart told us to ask and seek after only one thing, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. But my heart seeks after so many things. The student lowered his voice to a whisper, and the beauty I secretly gaze upon brings me shame. How will I ever become a man after God's own heart when I am so unfaithful? With this, the rabbi let go of all constraint and began to laugh, his eyes sparkling. My son, said the rabbi, listen to the story I am about to tell you. Long ago, a skylark flew above the parch and desolate ground of the desert. Times were hard for all living things, and worms were not easy to come by for a creature of the air. Even so, the skylark sang a winsome song day after day as he sought his daily portion. As each day passed, the difficulty of finding food grew more extreme. In his hunger, he began to grow restless, and in his restlessness, he forgot how to sing. The rabbi paused for a moment, wiped his brow, and exhaled deeply. The student sat attentively on the edge of his seat, but wondered what this story had to do with becoming a man after God's own heart. In a whisper, the rabbi continued, One day the skylark heard an unfamiliar voice. It was the voice of a traveling peddler, and the skylark could not believe what the peddler seemed to be selling. Worms! Worms! Mouth-watering worms! cried the peddler. Come right up and get your delicious worms today! Incredulous at this sudden good fortune, the skylark hopped closer to the peddler, drawing near to this manna from heaven. "'Worms today! Two worms for one feather!' said the peddler. At the mention of worms, the skylark felt a pang of hunger, and suddenly he understood. "'My feathers are many,' thought the skylark, imagining the taste of worms in his beak. "'Surely I will not miss just two small feathers.' 
So unable to resist any longer, the Skylark plucked two of his smallest feathers and surrendered them to the peddler, who, unbeknownst to the Skylark, was the unholy one in disguise. As promised, the Skylark had his choice of the fattest, juiciest worms he had ever seen, and all without needing to dig and claw in the underlying ground. So the Skylark took hold of four glistening worms and swallowed them. Such small sacrifice, yet such great reward, the Skylark told himself. Two small feathers is of no concern to me. With his stomach full, the Skylark stepped from his high perch and began to soar. And as he did, he began to sing once again. The next day, the Skylark swooped and sang until he met the nefarious peddler once again. Just as before, the peddler offered two worms for one feather. So the Skylark feasted on the luscious worms until he had his fill. And so it went day after day. Times were still hard for all living things, and worms were still not easy to come by for creatures of the air. One day, after finishing the worms, the Skylark attempted to take flight. Instead of soaring, he plummeted to the ground with a thud. Stunned, but grateful to be alive, the Skylark realized he had no more feathers. Of course, he could no longer fly. The rabbi paused for so long that the disciple thought the story was over. He responded to his teacher by saying that he would ponder the meaning of the story. Ah, but the story continues, said the rabbi. Sitting down, he exhaled deeply again. (sighs) Once the Skylark realized he had given up his feathers and could not fly, he came to his senses, said the rabbi. Desperate, he hopped and stumbled through the desert, gathering worms, a small one here, a small one there. After several days of striving and toil, he had a small pile of worms and returned to the peddler. Here are enough worms to exchange for my feathers. I need them back. The devil, however, just laughed and said, You can't get your feathers back. You've got your worms, and I've got your feathers. And after all, a deal is a deal. And with that, he disappeared into thin air. As the rabbi finished speaking, The young apprentice noticed a tear running down his teacher's cheek. Rabbi, why the tear? The disciple asked. The heart of God breaks when we give away our feathers for worms, the rabbi answered. But even more, his heart breaks when we try to buy our feathers back. For only God can restore our feathers. After a long silence, the disciple asked, And Rabbi, why were you laughing before you told me the story? The rabbi turned, his moist eyes now twinkling again. I laughed with joy because I have seen your heart. In your heart there is a song, and with your heart you will learn to fly. Hmm. The, uh, the line that stood out to me the most was where you said, Only God can restore our hearts. The foundation of your the very ministry here at Restoring the Soul is that you hope to be an instrument to help men uh, and women and families and marriages get their lives back again. So this particular story with helping men uh, get their feathers back. So we're going to take a quick break. And Michael, when we get back, uh, why don't you unpack the metaphor of what it means uh, for men to get their feathers back? 
You're listening to Restoring the Soul. We'll be right back. You already know we live in a pornified world, but most of us are at a loss for how to navigate this sea of temptation. It's either ceaseless striving on the one hand or giving in to brokenness on the other. But doesn't the gospel offer us another way? The truth is that our sexual struggles are not actually about sex, but about a misdirected, God-given longing for deep connection. Dig deeper in my book, Surfing for God, Discovering the Divine Desire Beneath Sexual Struggle. You're listening to Restoring the Soul. I'm your producer, Brian Beatty, sitting alongside your host, Michael John Cusick. And um, today we're getting started a a number of programs where we're unpacking Surfing for God. And you gave us a a great story, a metaphor of men uh, getting their feathers uh, back. What does this particular metaphor mean, Michael? Yeah, I'm glad to talk about that because there's so much conversation saying that porn isn't a big deal. Uh, Even in the Christian community where porn has just become, as many have said, kind of the background wallpaper of our lives, where it really is like secondhand smoke. The number one way is that men are losing their passion and they're losing heart because when I looked at pornography and when I was acting out sexually in my life uh, 27 years ago, my heart was focused. My heart was given over to something that had literally captivated me. And the biblical phrase for addiction is snare, a snare, something that we step into and it tightens around our ankle or our leg. And the harder we try to get out, the tighter that snare becomes. And that's all throughout the Old Testament and once in the New Testament. And so one of the ways that men are getting ensnared is just their their passion, uh, a loss of who am I? How do I enter into my life in a way where I can take hold of my vocation, my relationships uh, in the way that I really want to? And uh, we'll talk about that in a future episode of how porn is really a substitute for real passion in life. And the second thing that it does is it affects intimacy. Dr. Harry Schaumburg, about 25 years ago, wrote a book on sexual addiction called False Intimacy. And the title alone is worth the price of the book because what pornography and all sexual sin does is it keeps us locked into a pattern where we can't be truly intimate, where we are known and loved and open and vulnerable and available to others, but where we we have to hide because of the things that we're doing. Porn is also a false intimacy in the sense that it is not a human being. It is an object. It is a fantasy. And as we begin to uh, focus and attend to images that are not real, we become less and less able to actually relate to and to be intimate with real human beings. So the impact on relationships um, is really profound. I read a statistic not too long ago. I've not been able to verify this, but I've heard it from other reliable sources that uh, attorneys have reported that about half of the divorces that they're seeing in family law are caused by porn, infidelity, or some other kind of sexual addiction. So the toll it's taking is really incredible. And just as a little kind of anecdotal fact, um, there are men that are now in their 20s who, for no physical health reason, are unable to perform sexually, and they're being diagnosed with erectile dysfunction. And those same men who would normally be virile uh, at that age are having to take medications like Viagra and Cialis to be able to perform because they become desensitized based on the pornography. The final thing is freedom. 
um, that it just chips away at a man's freedom. So just like the Skylark, there's this initial sense of, well, I'm free to do this, and we make that choice. But in making the choice to give ourselves to something that's not life-giving, like porn or the worms in the case of the Skylark, we lose our ability to fly and we lose our feathers. And so I want to say to men that there is a way to get your feathers back. You can not just be sober, but you can be free. And I'm saying that because it happened in my own life. Dr. Dallas Willard is one of my heroes, and he once said that most Christians live between ceaseless striving and brokenness, but the gospel presents us another way. Most men are used to the ceaseless striving of, I'm going to try to stop, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to be more disciplined, I'm going to get more accountability. And that's the ceaseless striving that leads to pressure and weariness or pride and self-sufficiency. And the gospel provides us another way, that our hearts can be restored and that we can discover what we're really looking for, that in fact, we're surfing for God and all of his good gifts. I really appreciate that you tied the ribbon on it. Hearing the statistics of the fallout is sobering. Uh, And even in our uh, current COVID uh, environment and hopefully moving towards a that that the COVID uh, year has uh, accelerated uh, these issues and brought that uh, to light. So I really appreciate for you saying that there is hope uh, for these guys, that it's just not a dark well uh, that they uh, can, and families and, and marriages, there is hope for that. Getting back to the book, you have a chapter um, uh, says basically, what's better than porn? I don't answer the question. What's better? You know, the the Sunday school answer for what's better than porn is Jesus. Uh, many listeners might be familiar with the story of the little kid that goes to Sunday school, and the teacher says, uh, what climbs in trees, has a bushy tail, eats acorns, and rhymes with girl. And the kid says, well, I want to say squirrel, but I know the answer is Jesus. And the right answer is always Jesus, right? And in that case, men who are wrestling with and wanting to break free from sexual sin and pornography, they know the answer is Jesus, but they don't know what the questions are. They don't know what the right questions are. They don't know why they're doing what they're doing. So what's better than porn is, in fact, Jesus, life with God, union with God. As Willard said, the good news of the gospel presents us with another way. In Proverbs 27.7, there's this cool little verse that I discovered just probably five or six years ago as it relates to this. And it says, the one who is full loathes honey, but to the one who is hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. And so what is better than porn is life with God, walking with God, and union with God, including real intimacy with real human beings, sex according to God's design. But here's the problem. The way that we've talked about life with God is more about people kind of doing Christianity, believing the right things, applying those beliefs, as opposed to helping people have something that is uh, experientially real inside in their life with God so that their hunger is actually fulfilled. The way that we talk about the gospel and Christianity 
it doesn't actually make most people struggling with any kind of compulsion, whether it's people-pleasing or food or sexual sin, it doesn't actually make us think that God could be the answer and satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. And pornography comes along and touches on that. And so the surfing for God journey is understanding our deep longings, our brokenness, how our brokenness, including our sin nature, fuels how we mishandle our pain and misdirect our longings. And in this process, coming to understand that there's not just a freedom from sin, but a freedom into loving God and living in a whole new way so that our heart's deepest desires can be found in him. If this is the first time that you're listening to Restoring the Soul, I do encourage you to stay with us over the next couple of weeks as Michael is going to have an opportunity to unpack each chapter uh, of this book. But Michael, if this is the only episode that somebody's going to listen to today, we don't want them to necessarily go away empty-handed. What's the next step? Where can they go? Yeah, I would say, first of all, check out our ministry website, RestoringTheSoul.com. We do uh, intensive counseling uh, for individuals and couples with these issues and a whole host of issues from trauma to ministry burnout uh, to helping couples learn how to connect at a deeper level. There's also surfingforgod.com, which is the website for the book. You can download a free chapter, and there are other podcasts there. And uh, the book itself is available on Amazon and all the other sites, and it is paper, digital, and there's also an audio version of it. Uh, we are coming out with about eight years too late, but we're coming out with a workbook study guide for Surfing for God, which will be out uh, March 1st, and that's a uh, six-chapter resource that men can walk through individually or in groups. So as we wrap up uh, today, we're at the beginning of uh, Season 8 of Restoring the Soul. We've got 160 or so other episodes over the last couple years, some really great stuff. Michael, it's been a great joy of mine to uh, to be with you. What do we have to look forward to in the coming weeks? In the coming weeks, we're going to be unpacking some of the major themes of the book. Uh, I want to I kind of prepare listeners for the weeks ahead by giving a quote. That's the epigraph uh, on the front end of Surfing for God. It's a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who said, the pursuit of purity is not about the suppression of lust, but about the reorientation of our life to a larger goal. I, in my Christian life, as I struggled with sexual sin, tried to suppress my lust, to take my desire and push it down like a beach ball, to get it as far away as possible, to flex my moral muscles, to ratchet down my desires. And that had exactly the opposite effect. Anybody who's listening could go, yep, I've been there before. Tried harder, the struggle became worse. And so what we're going to be doing is talking about what's the alternative to suppressing lust and what in the world did Dietrich Bonhoeffer mean by reorienting your life to a larger goal? Interestingly, when you stop trying to quit porn 
And when you start trying to become the kind of person that doesn't have to look at porn, you will find freedom at a very deep level. You will discover the root issues to what's really going on underneath deep in the heart. So we're going to explore uh, issues like deep desires, what porn actually promises a man that's a counterfeit version of what he was created for. We're going to understand our brokenness. We're going to understand the cycle of addiction and the cycle of soul care and so much more. So I'm, I'm really excited for how this is going to give people practical hope and help. So we've wrapped up another episode of Restoring the Soul. We want you to know that Restoring the Soul is so much more than a podcast. In fact, the heart of what we have done for nearly 20 years is intensive counseling. When you can't wait months or years to get out of the rut you're in, our intensive counseling programs in Colorado allow you to experience deep change in half-day blocks over two weeks. To learn more, visit RestoringTheSoul.com. That's RestoringTheSoul.com. RestoringTheSoul.com.